Well, we're really glad that you're here this morning. We're really glad if you're online, able to join us. We're so thankful for that. And we keep working and working to make our online presence better. Uh, We've done a couple things. We're hoping we've maybe balanced the audio a little better so that you can enjoy it more online. And uh, we have a guy coming this Friday, in fact, who's going to help us uh, with some other things. So I, I only say that so you that are online know that we care about you. We're glad that you listen. And we're trying to produce, uh, technologically, the best thing we can produce. Sermons, those are always subpar, but the technology is as good as it gets, right? Uh, and we're glad that you're here with us in person as well. Uh, this is a pretty pretty good group of people, pretty good-sized group of people. There were people in the early service that hadn't been here in literally a year, and uh, they were finally uh, felt comfortable to come, and that was so good to see their faces and have them back here. Today we're celebrating communion. We're going to do that at the close of the service, and we're going to look at a number of scripture passages uh, this morning, but if I had to pick one to ask you to turn to, it would be Isaiah 53. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn to Isaiah 53. If you have the Bible app, you could turn there, or you could find a live event near you here in Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania, and follow along that way. This is the season of Lent, and through this season, I've been talking to you about um, some distinctives of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. Uh, you know, the Christian and Missionary Alliance um, was born, as far as my math works, 134 years ago, this movement was born. And just like any other church, we have things that make us distinct, things that we have chosen to really focus on, uh, maybe more than a couple other things. And in the Alliance, we call those distinctives the fourfold gospel. And uh, they are Jesus is our savior, Jesus is our sanctifier, Jesus is our healer, Jesus is our coming king. And the last time I spoke to you, two weeks ago, I spoke to you about Jesus, our coming king. And I chose that one because we were talking about missions. And missions is all about bringing back the king. That's how the Alliance understands that. Today, I want to talk to you about Jesus is our healer, Christ our healer. In the early service, we sang an old Simpson song. I don't know, should I sing it for him, honey? She shook her head no. I love that woman, right? You love her too, because you don't want to hear me go, Jesus only is our healer. All our sicknesses he bear. And his risen life in fullness, all his members still may share. Aren't you glad I didn't sing that to you? What torture that would have been, right? Listen to it again. Jesus only is our healer. All our sicknesses he bare or he bore on the cross. And his risen life and fullness, all of us can share. As we celebrate communion this week, we're actually celebrating Jesus, our healer. And scripture actually indicates the healing nature of God quite frequently, repeatedly. I mean, for example, he... Early on in Exodus chapter 15, there's this moment in time when Israel is being delivered from slavery in Egypt. And they're coming up out of slavery and they're going to come up into the promised land in about 40 years. But early on in that journey, they come to a place called Mara. Mara means bitterness. The reason this place is called Mara, the reason they named it that, is because the water was bad there. The water was bitter. And here they are, countless people in the desert needing water, and they find it, and it's bitter, and and how are they going to survive? Listen to what it says in Exodus 15. I'm going to start reading at verse 25. I'm just reading two verses. That's why I didn't have you turn there. It says, Moses cried out to the Lord, and the Lord showed him a piece of wood. 
He threw it into the water, and the water became fit to drink. There the Lord issued a ruling and instruction for them and put them to the test. He said, if you listen carefully to the Lord your God and do what is right in his eyes, if you pay attention to his commands and keep all his decrees, I will not bring on any of you the diseases I brought on the Egyptians. And in this sentence, for I am the Lord who heals you. Now, there's just a couple things I want to note about that. First, I want you to notice that God has entered into this covenantal relationship with his people called Israel, and he's tying this concept of healing to the promise that he's making with them. He's brought them out of slavery in Egypt. He's kind of introducing himself to them as a whole because they don't have a lot of knowledge of of their God. This is a whole generation of people that don't really know him. And along the way, these waters are undrinkable and he heals the water. And then he says, I am the Lord who heals you. The second thing I want you to notice here is it is God who does the healing. I am the Lord who heals you. It's not the piece of wood. We don't need to go into the Middle East and look around for a piece of wood we could throw into bad water and it would make it good. It's not even in the prayers because there's no evidence here that that Moses really prayed that the water itself would be healed. He just cried out to the Lord. And it's not in the faith. It is not by magic. It is simply the Lord. I am the Lord who heals you. You know, that's almost a play on words, that phrase, I am the Lord who heals you. I mean, Moses probably couldn't help but notice that just maybe 12 chapters earlier, when he was first introduced to God at the burning bush, and God said, Moses, I want you to go to Egypt, and I want you to bring my people up into the promised land. (laughs) He said, I don't even know who you are. I don't even know what I should say. Well, let me just read it to you. He says, Who should I say that sent me? And God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you're to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. And now here, a dozen chapters later, he says, I am the Lord who heals you. Moses has got to notice that. Because I notice it even thousands of years later when Jesus is dialoguing with some religious people about his identity. And he says in John eight fifty eight to them, he says, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. I am. One of two things is happening there. Either Jesus doesn't understand good grammar or Jesus is identifying himself with the God who heals them, with the voice in the burning bush. And you know, Jesus knows grammar better than any of us. He invented it. If he was using normal grammar, he would have said, before Abraham was born, I was. But he doesn't say that. He says, before Abraham is born, I am. He uses God's name. And as we celebrate communion today, we're celebrating Jesus, our healer. Okay, now a long time ago, I told you, open your Bibles to Isaiah 53. You're probably wondering, Are you going to get there, Pastor Steve? I am right now. And this is one of the clearest uh, prophecies concerning Jesus in the scripture. And it identifies him as a healer. Isaiah was written about 700 years before Jesus is born in Bethlehem. 
And he writes these words, starting in verse 4, concerning Jesus' death on the cross. Surely he took our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that bought us peace, that brought us peace, was on him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, I have heard people say that this passage in the Hebrew Scripture in Isaiah chapter 53, that in synagogues, when they're reading through the book of Isaiah aloud, the public reading of Scripture in the synagogue, that when they get to chapter 2, I'm sorry, when they get to chapter 52, they skip 53 and they go right to 54. Now, when I hear that, I'm like, oh, yeah, that really shows how evident it is that this is Jesus But I've only ever heard people say that. And you know, sometimes you can believe what people say and sometimes you can't. And so I did a lot of research on it this week. And frankly, I couldn't find anyone with any more credibility than me. And I don't have any credibility about what goes on in a contemporary Jewish synagogue who could speak to that until I came upon the website of Dr. D. James Kennedy, a ministry that I trust. I don't know if you remember D. James Kennedy, Evangelism Explosion, Coral Ridge Ministry, a man of integrity and truth. They had a video on that website with a woman whose name was Jane Wynn, Jane Goldie Wynn. And she grew up in a conservative Jewish home. I just want to read two sentences from that interview for you. In fact, I'll put them on the screen for you. Listen to what she says. I remember that our rabbi in the Torah readings always skipped Isaiah 53. It's so clear that it speaks about Jesus. Isaiah 53 so clearly points toward Jesus as the prophesied Messiah that those who want to deny that reality just skip the chapter. What does the chapter say about Jesus? Lots of things, including this. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. As we celebrate communion today, we celebrate Jesus, our healer. By the way, the scripture indicates this is a physical healing. There are groups that would say, yeah, when it's talking about that healing, it's just talking about healing our spirits. It's talking about healing our soul, to to heal us of our sin. Okay, yeah, I think he does that. But it's very interesting, something that happens in Matthew 8. Jesus, one of his followers, you know, is named Peter, Simon Peter, kind of becomes the the dominant personality among the 12. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 8 happens to be in Peter's home and Peter's mother-in-law, well, let me just read it to you. This is Matthew 8, 14. When Jesus came into Peter's house, he saw Peter's mother-in-law lying in bed with a fever. He touched her and a fever left her. She got up and began to wait on him. When evening came, many who were demon-possessed were brought to him, and he drove out the spirits with a word and healed all the sick. Now listen to the next phrase. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. He took up our infirmities and bore our disease. Do you catch that? It's not just spiritual healing. 
It was people who had fevers. It was people who were sick. It was physical healing. And as we celebrate communion today, we celebrate Jesus, our healer. Now, the question might come up to you, well, what is really required in healing? And the obvious answer is, if Jesus is our healer, then Jesus is required in healing. That's true. I'm not saying, however, that God will not heal someone who is not a Christian. I've heard testimonies of people who did not believe in Christ at all, but called out to him for healing, found it, and then turned to him for salvation. And I have seen people who had no saving faith at all healed miraculously when doctors can't explain it. And so I'm not saying that you must be a Christian in order to be healed by God. There are occasions even in the Bible where someone who is outside of the kingdom receives healing. Probably the one that comes to your mind is Naaman. That Naaman was a foreigner. He was a, a, a leader in the military of a foreign king. And he came and was healed in Israel, but he wasn't converted until afterward. In fact, after his conversion, he proclaims the singularity of the God of Israel and becomes a worshiper of him. It's kind of funny. He even takes some dirt with him so that he can spread it out and he can worship there. He has dirt from Israel that he's going to worship with at home. That, that doesn't mean you should do that. What that means is the guy really meant it, right? So, so I'm not saying, though, that God doesn't heal anyone who does not follow him. He does because his grace is so huge, right? But I do believe that Scripture teaches that our healing is rooted in the work of Christ, that healing is in the atonement because he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Tying healing to the atonement doesn't somehow either limit healing. It elevates it. It strengthens it. It makes it more than something selfish like, yeah, I'd love to be healed. Give me that. I'll take that. Give me two of those. Can I have two? Give me those. It reminds us of something really important. It reminds us that although God gives physical healing in this life, and I personally have been healed, and I've seen people that were healed, most traumatic is my daughter was healed at one time of a sickness. Many of you have heard that story. Although God gives us physical healing in this life, For some, healing is in the life to come. In the life to come. And that life to come, eternal life, is only possible because of the atonement. It is only possible because of the work of Christ. The death and resurrection of Christ is the foundation of our faith. And so it just makes sense that every good thing would be rooted in it. Recognizing that healing is rooted in the atonement elevates physical healing in a way that nothing else could. The Bible teaches us that healing is actually part of God's redemptive purpose. It's kind of another line of theology 101 that through sin, suffering entered the world and through the atonement, suffering is destroyed. It's just the basic stuff of Christian faith. Now, promise was given early on. It was given clear back in the first book of the Bible in the third chapter, Genesis 3 is where you find Adam and Eve's sin. And in verse 14 of that chapter, it says, God God is discussing what they've done. And he's discussing it with the serpent in verse 14. And he says to Satan, to the serpent, he says, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. 
you will crush his head. I'm sorry, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now that enmity between the serpent and the woman doesn't mean, that's not, doesn't explain why my mom was afraid of snakes, right? He's talking about a cosmic difference here. He's talking about a cosmic struggle between Satan and Jesus. And he's saying, he's saying indeed, at the crucifixion, you will strike his heel. But at the crucifixion, he will crush your head. And he does that. Lent draws us toward that every Good Friday, every Easter, toward the empty tomb that we celebrate as the evidence of the victory that Satan's head has been crushed. That's what we celebrate in the Lord's Supper, the atonement of Christ. And as we celebrate communion, we celebrate Jesus, our healer. Scripture teaches that healing is rooted in the work of Christ, and it teaches that it actually comes to us when we have a humble heart. I say that because you really need to have some kind of a degree of desire that you're willing to express in order to find healing. You have to have a degree of desire. We, we talked a few weeks ago about a man at the pool near the sheep gate who had been an invalid for 38 years. And do you remember Jesus' question to him? He says to him, do you want to get well? And I've heard Bible teachers and preachers talk about why did Jesus say that to him? There are a lot of answers to that question. But the bottom line is, if you're going to get healed, you're going to have to want to be healed. And sometimes that takes some humility just to admit to yourself that you need to be healed. Just to say, yeah, I probably do need God to take care of me. And it, it, it takes a willingness to ask. I don't know that this is the case because I did not research this as thoroughly as I did the question of Isaiah 53 in synagogues, but I have read elsewhere that one of the reasons that men die from heart attacks is because they're too stubborn to acknowledge that they need care. I just, uh, I've been made aware of a man who died recently with a heart attack and his buddies were saying, you need to go to the hospital. He's like, yeah, it's nothing. It's nothing. It's nothing. I don't know, is that stubbornness? It's probably a little bit of pride, right? Pride in not wanting to ask for help. I don't want pride to keep me from receiving anything that God has, least of all his healing. It takes humility to ask. And, and it takes a readiness to trust. I love what Drew said at the start of the service. But before I talk about that, I want you to notice, I'm probably two-thirds of the way through a sermon on healing. How many times have you heard me use the word faith? Zero. On a sermon on healing, you've got to talk about faith every time. Zero. And that's intentional. Because I believe that our society has lost the biblical understanding of faith, particularly when it comes to issues like healing. Drew, you said it so well. I think you said faith maybe, I don't know, 10 times, and you said trust probably five times, because every time that he's speaking of faith, he is speaking of biblical faith, which is trust. Even when Jesus says your faith has made you well, he's talking about your willingness to place your trust in God that is what has provoked God to respond here. He's talking about your hope that you have, that God has something good for you. That is an element essential in receiving that which is good. He's talking about surrender, your willingness to trust God that if you surrender to him, he will not injure you, but he, will, he has good things for you. That is trust. He's talking about trust. The abuse of the word faith is really nothing new. I, I think I said a few moments ago that we've lost the biblical understanding of faith, but Dr. Simpson, probably over 100 years ago, wrote about this very thing. He said this, 
It's on your screen. It's in real little letters. So I'll read it for you. He said, a friend said, you were healed by faith. Oh, no, I said, I was healed by Christ. What's the difference? There's a great difference. There came a time when even faith seemed to come between me and Jesus. I thought I should have to work up the faith. So I labored to get the faith. At last, I thought I had it, that if I put my whole weight upon it, it would hold. I said, when I thought I had got the faith, heal me! And I was trusting in myself, in my own heart, in my own faith. I was asking the Lord to do something for me because of something in me, not because of something in him. Do you see the desperate difference there? It is such a huge difference. You cannot work up faith. You cannot psych your faith. You cannot psych yourself up into biblical faith. There would be no humility at all in that. And it would be all your own work if you could do that. Biblical faith is ceasing. It is trusting. It is having the humility to rest in Christ's promise and in his covenant. As we celebrate communion, we celebrate Jesus, our healer. I find it interesting to whom the ministry of healing is committed. Who does God give the ministry of healing to? Because I enjoy offbeat humor, I really liked Andy Kaufman's stuff. I don't know if any of you remember Andy Kaufman, but his character, Lakta on Taxi, was way ahead of its time. Do you remember Lakta? Oh my goodness. It is just such good stuff. He was absolutely hilarious. And I loved watching him. So after his death, when they did a documentary about it, I watched him. It seems that in his early 30s on the documentary, Kaufman was diagnosed with lung cancer that spread to his brain. And when normal treatment was unable to cure him, because he had some money as a celebrity, he traveled to the Philippines and went to a psychic healer there to heal him. And it didn't work. About a year later, Kaufman died. He is not alone in this going far away to find someone who can do a miracle and heal him. A lot of people have felt that need to do so through the time. And I'm certainly not telling you not to seek the healing Christ where you may find him. I'm not saying don't do that. I just want to note that in the Bible, we're really not told to go see a prayer specialist. Hmm. It's as though healing prayer is right here near you, with you, for you. Because Christ is right here near you, with you, for you. As I was contemplating this, I thought of something that we talked about in men's group a couple of weeks ago on Thursday nights. When we were in Romans chapter 10, we came upon these words that says, the word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. And I think it was Tony who said, I'm, I'm having trouble understanding that. What, what is being said there? And, and the bottom line is, here's what, here's what the point is in verse eight there in the latter part of that, is that you don't have to go up into heaven to find the truth about Jesus, this gospel that we proclaim to you, this word concerning faith we proclaim to you. Nor do you need to go to the depths, into the abyss and find it there, but rather the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. You don't have to go to heaven to find salvation. You don't have to go to the abyss to find it. 
God's salvation is available to you right where you are. And so is his healing. He has provided people to pray for you right where you are. According to the book of James, it's your church family. More specifically, God entrusts the ministry of healing to the local church, to the elders. Now, in a moment, I'm going to read to you from James chapter 5, verses 13, 14, and 15. James 5, 13, 14, 15. But first, let me read it the way it doesn't say. This is Steve made this up Bible stuff, okay? No lightning, I don't think, because because God understands, okay? Here it is. This is what it does not say. Is anyone among you in trouble? Maybe he should go see the apostle Peter. Peter's had a lot of success helping people who are in trouble, and he's not that far away. Is any one of you sick? You know, Paul has a significant healing ministry. He has even raised the dead. Go see those guys. And the prayer that they offer in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. Now, before you dismiss that, realize James could have said that. He really could have said that because Peter and Paul were both engaged in ministry when James was writing the words that he was writing. But James didn't tell the people he was writing to that they had to travel elsewhere. Listen to what he actually wrote, starting in verse 13. Is anyone among you in any trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call on the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And a prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Huh. Healing prayer is committed to your church, to your leaders, to your elders. And whenever you like, you can call on them and they will anoint you with oil and pray for you. Uh, The elders in this church have anointed people with oil right here. This morning we did it right where Drew and Julie are sitting. A couple were there. We have done it in my office. We have done it in Sunday school rooms. We have done it in hospital beds. We have done it in nursing homes. We have done it in people's living rooms. We have done it in people's yards. It's near you. It's right there. Because Christ is near you. He is right here. Call the elders. They will pray. The Lord will raise him up. As we celebrate communion, we celebrate Jesus, our healer. Jesus is our healer. Receiving healing, it's a blessing. Maybe not for the reasons you think it would be a blessing. Receiving healing is a blessing because it is an expression and experience of God's grace to you because you know you don't deserve it and he gives it to you. And the one who is healed has a gratefulness of heart that he didn't have previously. Receiving healing is a demonstration of God's greatness. All power is given unto me, Jesus says. And the one who is healed has a higher view and a more profound respect for Christ than he had before he was healed. Receiving healing is an empowerment for you so that you may be free from whatever might keep you from being the person that God has you to be. Did you notice what happened with Peter's mother when the fever left her? She got up and served the people who were there. 
If you haven't heard my daughter's story of healing, I, I have the copy of it that she put on her blog page. I read it every now and then. I find it so encouraging. I can tell you the last words in the story of her healing were, were these. The opportunities to serve him abound. <laughs> Receiving healing is an empowerment to you that you can serve Jesus, your healer, like you were not able to previously. If you ever want the elders to pray for you, if you want them to pray today, at the end of the service, after we've shut down the live stream and everything else, hang around. The elders are hanging around. We're not going to hunt you down. By the way, you notice it didn't say, is anyone sick? The elders should hunt them down. We don't do that. You call on the elders. And this is an opportunity for you to do that after the service today. We'll hang around for five or ten minutes, and we'll take as much time as we need to to be with you. Christ is our healer. We continue to worship him as we celebrate the Lord's Supper. We're going to move to the Lord's Supper at this time. And uh, is the worship team coming up for the Lord's Supper? And uh, we'll take a couple moments to transition into that. If you receive this, I'm going to remind you of the mechanics of this rascal. Somebody got it this morning, and I could tell they'd never held it before. So if you never held it before, pay attention. There are two layers here. There's a real thin layer that's like cellophane. You want to work to get that one off first, because if you don't have that one off first, you're done. And these are locked up like Fort Knox, you know? It's hard to get into them if you don't get that one off first. And you're going to lift that off, and underneath there is a little white wafer. It's like a dime. You're going to pick that up. That'll be the bread. And then a thicker one, it's a big tab there. You can gently pull that off. Don't over-squeeze the cup, or you'll have the grape juice on you. You can gently pull that off, and then take the cup when that time comes. I would like us to take just a moment of quiet reflection and just quiet our hearts before the Lord. And I want you to give consideration to Christ, your healer. If you are healthy, if you are healthy, then praise him. Thank you, God. Thank you for making me healthy. If you are not well, then talk to him. You know, God heals in other ways besides the elders anointing you with oil. Just ask him, God, I got this thing. I'd like you to heal me of it. And let me say this. It doesn't have to be a physical healing. It includes physical healing. But it can be a problem in your life that you just feel stuck on. A pain in your life that you're not able to let go of due to a broken relationship or something like that. Or maybe the healing you need is just a healing to break free from a sinful pattern in your life that has taken control of your life and you just would like freedom from it. Ask him for that. Or maybe it's just a healing of a broken heart. An individual said to me recently, you know, my mom died 13 years ago. It still hurts like it was yesterday. Maybe that's the healing that you need. Whatever it is, in this time of quietness, as Drew plays, just quiet your heart before God and say, God, heal me of this. And in that time as well, examine yourself. One should examine oneself before he eats of the bread and drinks of the cup. Do that. James even says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so you can be healed. God, I got this sin in my life. I have not repented of it. Please forgive me for it. I want to turn away from it in Christ's name. Do that kind of business with God in the next minute or so as true plays.
within, overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Have you come to the end of yourself? Do you thirst for a drink from the well? Jesus is calling. The Father's arms are open wide. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Father, we are thankful for your grace for us. Jesus, we thank you for dying on the cross for us so that when we turn away from our self-centeredness and trust in your death, we find forgiveness, release from guilt and shame, and power for effective living, healing. We trust you for those things as we celebrate communion together. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So in a moment, who has a microphone? Eric, that's wonderful. So in a moment, Eric is going to pray a prayer of thanks for the body of Christ. I'm going to let you get your wafer out and we'll hold that together. That which you hold is representative of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ, which is given for you. I'm going to ask Eric if he would pray a prayer of thanks for the body of Christ. I hope that you online are joining us this morning. Eric? Lord, we are thankful for this ability to celebrate this symbolism, this wafer. We know that the power doesn't come from the symbolism, this wafer, but it comes from you. We pray, Lord, that our hearts would be open, that we would confess to you those things that we need to confess to you, that our hearts would be cleansed, that you would heal us, that you would give us the opportunity to serve you and celebrate you. We thank you, Lord, for your body that was beaten and broken for us. Thank you for your glory, Lord. Thank you for your offering to us. We praise you, Lord. We give you the honor and the glory. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. Amen. So you will want to remove your mask. I have found it difficult to eat this with my mask on. Let us take it together, the body of Christ. And the scripture says that afterward, they took the cup. I'm going to ask you, uh, Josh, if you would pray a prayer of thanksgiving for the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. The blood of the covenant. Think about that for just a moment. The blood of the covenant. And we said that healing is a covenantal promise from the great I am, the Lord who heals you. Josh, would you pray a prayer of thanks for the blood of Christ? We thank you, God, that you are the great I am, that you are still actively working in your church, that you are actively working in the, in the universe even today. We thank you that you have made your home within us, Thank you that we can come to you in times of need, but also in times of celebration, as Pastor had already mentioned. We ask God that you would continue to cleanse us, that we would continue to be thirsty for you and hungry for you. We thank you that you meet us when we do that. I pray this in your most holy name. Amen. Amen. So if you're careful when you open this, it won't spill. Maybe a little bit will. That which you hold represents the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
I will not drink of this fruit of the vine, he said, until I drink it anew with you in my Father's kingdom. I can't wait. But until then, we take it here in remembrance of him, the blood of Christ.